You're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense with your host, Doug Thorpe. Here's Doug. Well, greetings, everyone. You're listening to another episode of Leadership Powered by Common Sense. I'm your host, Doug Thorpe, and today I've got a really special guest. I know I say that a lot about most of my guests, but this guy is is uh, very special to me. His name is Tom Healy. Tom, welcome to the show, man. Great to be here. Looking forward to this. The reason I uh, call Tom pretty special, uh, he and a partner, a guy named Joe Bazzello, have started a a company, actually a couple of initiatives. Um, First one where I met him, it's a company called Growth 10, and they run a nationwide, I guess technically global, Tom, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. A number of people that are uh, scattered throughout the world, believe it or not. (laughs) They have built a platform for coaches and advisors to come together and host mastermind groups or CEO roundtables or peer-to-peer, whatever you want to call them. Uh, But Tom and his partner, Joe, have done some tremendous work on the back end of that, putting great content libraries together. They've got a great support infrastructure. And I'm, I'm talking here thinking to myself, this sounds like an gratuitous plug, but uh, call it what it is. I, think it's a great platform and a lot of people have found wonderful success. But before we get into all that, Tom, I, as tradition on this show, I like to ask my guests a little bit of backstory, kind of what your journey's been about, your focus, and what is it that got you into what you're doing now? Jeez, well, that's a that, that could be a very long-winded uh, answer I'd give, but uh, I'll give you the abbreviated version of it and uh, try to try to not bore anyone. Um, you know, I, I call myself a lifelong entrepreneur. Um, you know, I started selling stuff on eBay when I was uh, 12 years old. And so I, I just, uh, I've always been an entrepreneur. I started selling content online as a teenager. I uh, started selling stuff on eBay. I um, published uh, newsletters. I mean, all kinds of crazy stuff. And this was like, way back in the day, um, the AOL days and, and you know, dial up internet. But, um, I, you know, my mentors, um, the, the people that I gravitated towards um, in my formative years were entrepreneurs. So for me, this was just what I was going to do. I mean, I, I literally, as crazy as it sounds, Doug, I, I kind of looked at work like, okay, you have to build something, create something, do something, and then sell it. So I I just always looked at work as being an entrepreneur. I I never, the the thought of going and working for someone or getting a traditional job, it just was never on my radar. Um, Went to college, got super involved as a student leader. Um, You know, I went to college not being heavily involved uh, in high school, um, but I joined a fraternity. I rose my hand and ran for a position. And then I joined another council that presided over all the fraternities. And then I got involved in some student leadership stuff across campus. And I radically changed. I mean, so from the time I got to college versus when I left, it was a significantly different person. And it was because of those leadership experiences. It was because I, you know, ran for positions, was totally lost, had no idea what was going on. But all of that uncomfort 
made me better because that's how we grow, right? We grow when we're extremely uncomfortable and our backs up against the wall, not when we're comfortable and everything's easy. And so I radically changed. And so when I thought, okay, I'm graduating, what am I going to do? I started writing a book for college students. Now, my approach was not, hey, I'm a know-it-all. I'm Tom Healy, and I'm going to tell you what to do. It was, hey, there's a whole bunch of stuff they didn't teach us in college, and now we need to know all this stuff. And what are those lessons? So, you know, how do you figure out where to live? How do you figure out what you want to do professionally? How do you determine what you're passionate about? What are some basic financial tools that we need to know and resources we need to have? Uh, how do you build a network? How do you actually network with people? So I did a bunch of research. I interviewed hundreds and hundreds of people, gathered data, grabbed success stories, lessons learned. Um, I profiled what super successful people did in their 20s um, to, to become successful. And I put together a book because that's what people did 16, 17 years ago. They wrote books. <laughs> uh, yeah. Instead of doing podcasts and, and online content and YouTube channels, we used to write books. And so I wrote that book so that I had credibility so that I could go speak professionally, which is what I wanted to do. I wanted to go to college campuses and student leadership workshops and be a keynote speaker. And in order for me to do that at 22 years old, I needed a book because if you had a book, people thought you were credible. So there was a purpose for, for, for writing that book and sure. I'm very proud of it. But that's what got me started in my entrepreneurial journey. And as you know, in this kind of speaking, consulting, coaching, advising, whatever we want to call it space, um, if you're good at what you do and you're passionate about what you do and you make yourself very vulnerable and put yourself out there to a wide range of audiences, you get asked to do all kinds of crazy stuff. So if you looked at my entrepreneurial journey throughout my 20s and into my 30s, it was a lot of, hey, Tom, have you ever done or can you do? And before they finished the sentence, you know what I said, Doug? Yeah, of course I can. And, and, and I just said yes to everything. Now, some things I hated and didn't enjoy doing them and they weren't a good, you know, alignment to my skill set, but many other things were. And so everything that I've done has just been by saying yes, doing it, and then either continuing down that path or never doing it again. But I learned a lot by just saying yes to a wide range of things. And so all that speaking put me into some crazy situations, um, United States Navy, Fortune 100 companies, Harvard Medical School, college campuses, national nonprofits. And I did about 125 nights of business travel. And I said, I'm never doing this again. And so that's how I pivoted from a lot of in-person work to online education. And that business now provides coursework for over 100 college campuses across the United States. Um, so that was, you know, a, a lot of brick and mortar speaking, consulting, coaching translated into uh, online education in higher ed. And then you mentioned Joe Bazello, my business partner. Uh, I met him about six years ago uh, because he was doing work here locally in Scottsdale that I wanted to do, which is grabbing groups of entrepreneurs uh, about you know 10 or 12 of them, putting them into a group for a half day once a month and running a peer advisory group, a mastermind group. They have different names, but the idea being is that the answers are in the room. So Tom Healy is not a business coach that's going to tell you what to do. I'm simply putting together a very, very high performing group of people 
and I'm facilitating a great discussion with them every month. And so, you know, Joe and I started doing that. We started training other people on how to build and lead those groups. And then, you know, recently over the past year, um, we started building software to support those CEOs and founders their organizations at a lower level, which would be the management level. And so we do leadership training for managers. So that's kind of story, background, what I do all rolled into one. But, you know, hopefully for those listening, it paints a little bit of a picture of uh, of some of my uh, experiences and background. Well, for those of you listening and, and maybe viewing this, if, if you can't tell, Tom's got a high degree of energy. He always shows up with uh, a couple of notches above the norm in the room. So uh, he, he's just a natural motivator, and uh, he, he speaks with a lot of passion and intent and purpose. And I, and I think that's infectious. You know, if you're, if you're going to be in a meeting and listening, it, it's good to have that battery recharged sometimes by a guy like Tom and, and Tom's a master of it. And so, um, uh, that, that's, that's really good stuff. What, what I was thinking, Tom, when I asked you to come on this show, I would, I would like to talk about some of the experiences from those peer to peer groups. And first let's talk about, um, ju just the, attraction of that the the model has been around for a while napoleon hill made it famous in think and grow rich which is i guess over a hundred years old now the book and um a lot of people have leveraged the model there's a lot of global brand names that do it vistage comes to mind uh, there, there's many others so part of my question is a lot of people have tried it some people do it very well. Others have kind of come and gone in, in the game. What do you think it is about attracting the right people to get in that group? You know, wh where does that start with trying to figure that out? Yeah, it's interesting. So that that's what got me attracted to facilitating those groups is actually being a member of one here locally. So, you know, I was starting my entrepreneurial journey. I'm starting to scale a business. I'm managing people for the first time. I have to pay other people before I pay myself. Uh, you know, so, so I'm going through all those growing pains. And I was fortunate very early on that I joined a group here locally. Um, the, the group I joined was called Accelerator. And that's actually like kind of a farm system for EO, which is below YPO. So it's part of that whole uh, organization, but um, that was for businesses that were under a million of revenue, but trying to get over that million dollar mark. And so the phenomenal organization really gave me um, a lot of foundational skills, but most importantly, it allowed me to be around peers because in, in so many entrepreneurs that I talk to um, and work with, you know, before they're part of something like that, Doug, they feel like they're the only ones doing it because maybe their significant other is not an entrepreneur and um, some of their closest friends are not entrepreneurs. So they're on this lonely island all by themselves thinking they're the only ones doing this, not having anyone to bounce ideas off of. And entrepreneurship in and of itself is extremely lonely, isolating and difficult. 
let's not make it more difficult. So let's at least give you some peers to, to uh, be with. So I benefited from that and I understood the value of it. Um, but I say all that to say that there's a lot of people that look at that work, the work of I'm going to put 10 like-minded people in a room together and I'm going to facilitate a great half day or full day meeting once a month. Well, who wouldn't want to do that? Who wouldn't want to facilitate great discussion and help people tackle really, really deep personal and professional issues, um, build relationships, work with people for years? The, the work of facilitating those meetings, it sounds great. And, and, and everyone wants to do that work. However, where do people struggle, Doug? Well, they struggle in being able to build those groups. And so you asked me an important question, which is, how do you build those groups? You know, how do you go about forming that? And I will tell you, you know, a couple thoughts. First of all, you need to be damn clear in what that experience is. So in other words, if you haven't really been in a group before and you haven't experienced that and you don't have successes um, from that experience, I won't say it's impossible to sell that experience to someone else and describe it, but man, it's really, really tough. So just experiencing that and being able to share that, number one. The second thing is being very, very clear in what you're building. And so, you know, folks will say, oh, well, we're putting, you know, 10 really nice people together once a month. And that sounds nice, but that's like not even scratching the surface of how specific and laser focused you need to build to be. So what I built in the first group that I put together was gritty entrepreneurs, 10 to 50 employees, rapidly scaling a business, younger, young children, wanted to exit their business uh, within the next five to 10 years. So rapid growth mode, thinking about an exit strategy, uh, really, really nice people, humble, no ego, coachable, and then someone that I'd want to have a beer with. Like that, that was the profile. And so, and, and there's probably things I'm not even thinking about, but the point is that's a very focused per, oh, and by the way, it was all men just because I, I like that idea of young fathers and, and some of the unique issues that we have uh, versus what a young mother or someone that doesn't have children, right? So, uh, or someone that's older and, and been through this before. So again, I, I really like the idea of something that's hyper-focused, but then something, so, you know, you, you mentioned in terms of building and putting together that group. So when I approached someone, first of all, I was, truly and authentically passionate about that experience, about that type of a group, because I had lived it. The other thing was, I was very, very clear in who that group was for. So someone says, well, first of all, what you just described, that's me. So that that's good. But more importantly, if I could be with nine other people like that, that, that understood this unique set of challenges I'm going through, Whew, that would be of tremendous value for me. And, and that's, and that's I, one other point I want to make is, you know, I think a lot of times, you know, you hear, you hear the term or the, the phrase imposter syndrome and, and people get very, you know, I, I think kind of in their own head when 
they haven't done everything and experienced everything and, you know, oh, well, how am I supposed to, you know, work with business owners if I didn't, you know, sell a $50 million business already? Well, hold on a second. My approach was never, nor is it now, to say, hey, I'm, I'm Tom Healy. I have all the answers. I'm, I'm smarter than you and better than you and you can learn from me. Hell, that's the last thing on my mind. What I'm thinking is, I, I'm really good at facilitating this experience and putting the right people in the group and kind of painting that picture. But I'm there to, you know, play referee and facilitate and whatever you want to call it. It's not to have all that answer. So I think a lot of people get stuck trying to build a group because they only feel like they can put people in the group that they feel like they're smarter than, better than, further along than. I actually did the opposite. You know, I mean, I, everyone that that I attracted into that initial group had a business bigger than anything I had ever built before. But that's not why they joined. They joined because they understood that I could attract like-minded people and I had a very clear picture of what I wanted to put together. Yeah. And I think the the dynamic in doing that well is is getting that good fit, that very specific common sort of level setting of, of connection. Uh, and I'm thinking back in, in my career and in, in doing the coaching work I've done, I've, I've been in and out of groups where the organization attempting to put it together didn't do a really good job of, of assessing that kind of fit. It's just like somebody showed up at the front door, applied to be in a group, they got dropped in, and there wasn't a lot of connection and the the challenge there is you can uh, alienate some of the people that you really want in the group because they're sitting there going, there's no alignment here. You know, well, why am I listening to this person? And a classic example is you, you mentioned something about the headcount. Well, that newly emerging entrepreneur that only has two people working for him. And by the way, it's his brother-in-law and his aunt that's working for him. He doesn't have the right connection with the guy that's already got 10, 15, 20 employees. Sweating that payroll versus the, the one or two. And again, their relatives. So if you skip a payday, they're not going to hold it against you. <laughs> it's a whole different dynamic. So they're playing a completely different sport. Yeah. You know, and it's, oh, oh well, they're, you know, um, you know, CEO one and CEO two, they're both in the insurance industry. So, you know, they'll hit it off. Well, one of them has 50 employees. The other has three. So those are two different sports. Those are two radically different sets of responsibilities, sets of issues. And, and I think sometimes people don't understand that. It, it's just, it's different. It doesn't mean that one's better than the other. It, it, it just means that they're completely different things that those two people are trying to do. And, and, and frankly, what I've found is when you combine those types of people, the larger one, and the smaller one both hate it because yeah. the smaller one says, well, this guy's dealing with all these things that, you know, I, I'll never have to deal with or it'll be years before I get to. And then the one with the 50 employees, she's looking at the, you know, the guy with the, the, the you know, aunt and the, uh, the, the uh, brother-in-law saying, well, this is boring. I did that 10 years ago. I, I worked my way out of that stage. So it's not that it's not for one of them. It's not for either of them. 
So you got to you got to put people that are dealing with similar issues and challenges together. Otherwise, it's really boring for both. Business is all about solving complex problems as fast as you can create them. Become the best problem solver by leading others to greatness, too. And the first step is going to DougThorpe.com. Doug Thorpe is known globally for coaching entrepreneurs and business leaders, improving their performance and the work output of everyone surrounding them. You can find health, wealth, and happiness by learning to lead others to health, wealth, and happiness. Go to DougThorpe.com now and order Doug's books or hire him to coach your managers. That's Doug, T-H-O-R-P-E.com. As your group gels and and goes, there's still going to be the potential that somebody's going to rapidly rise even beyond that to the next level. And, you know, the the advantage if you're a a coach or an advisor, facilitator trying to do this thing, if you've got several of these groups going, chances are you've got a a spinoff opportunity for that guy that has advanced faster than the others and you keep them progressing at their own pace, whatever they're thinking and doing. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the perfect practice, if you're, you know, someone that wants to do this work, the perfect practice is where you have a few different pods, you know, right. A few different groups of people uh, cohorts, whatever you want to call them, and you can mix and match and move people around so that when you meet someone that you really like, that is coachable and doesn't have an ego, and you'd love to have them in a group, you have the right spot for them rather than square peg round hole. Well, Mary's fantastic, so I'm going to throw her into this group, even though you know her business is five times the size as the second biggest one. Well, it just doesn't work. So yeah. it's to have a couple of different places to put people. Or to know other people doing this work. And that's something we do inside the Growth 10 community, where you may come across someone and say, hey, they're they're a terrible fit for my practice, too small, too big, wrong industry, compete with someone else in my group. But I'd like to refer them to someone else um, so they can find a place. And, you know, I'll I'll tell you, it's, it's interesting because I've had this conversation a lot recently where there are too many people in the coaching, consulting, speaking space that are just terrified of competition. And they have such a scarcity mindset where the thought of referring someone to someone else terrifies them. And I'm sitting there thinking, you know, I'm very proud of what I've done professionally, but who am I? There, there's a, there's a, you know, hundreds of thousands of other people out there that do the exact same work that I do. However, there's also 300 and what, 30 million people just in the United States. So there's plenty of business for everyone. So if I speak at a conference and they're looking for a speaker, you know, for next fall or whatever, like I'm going to refer someone that I'm friends with. What, like, do I think that it's a lifetime appointment that they're just going to keep bringing Tom back? Well, of course they're not. They need to bring in new voices. And I would hope that people refer me as well. And it's just, but it's amazing how many people, um, Doug, they'll be doing consulting for an organization and never in a million years would they ever say, oh, you should talk to this person for this or that. They think that they have every answer to everything. And they're so protective of their clients uh, or of the organization that brought them in. And it's it's horrible. I mean, if, yeah. if you 
have that scarcity mindset, but just understand that nobody's ever going to introduce you anywhere either. So you'll end up being on a lonely island by yourself. And I, I'll tell you, I've done a lot of work by myself over the years, and I've done a lot of work with partners and uh, peers. I have a lot more fun when I'm collaborating with others and referring other people and friendly with people that do similar work to me, as opposed to when I first started doing this work and I was sitting by myself in the home office all day. Yeah, absolutely. And and I, I share that same principle with you on the competition. And those who know me well have heard me tell the story of, I, I learned the principle from um, the chairman of the bank I went to work for after I got out of the army, I was like 24 years old and went to work for this large regional bank who I didn't know it at the time, but they were on a path for greatness. And it was because of the chairman we had, his name was Ben Love. And I will never forget a day we used to have Friday morning officer meetings. Anybody that was an officer of the bank was expected to come. They didn't take role, but we were small enough. They knew if you weren't there, you know, and uh, um, one day somebody was given a presentation and somebody else raised their hand and challenged the idea that this thing was going to give away some secret sauce and it, it would be a competitive disadvantage to participate in this thing. Ben stood up and when he stood up, he was six, seven. So he kind of had a little bit of presence, you know, but he stood up and he lit that guy up. <laughs> I mean, he, he just said, I want to go on record right now. If anybody's afraid of competition, you're in the wrong game. Get out of my bank. And he said, number one, if you think somebody else is going to beat you at your own game, shame on you. You need to be at the top of the game. You should never be afraid of competition. Number two, if you can't collaborate with people that can add value to the thing you're doing, you know, that scarcity mindset idea, then again, shame on you. That's a very narrow minded. And, and he went on, he had about five more bullet points to add to that sermon. But ever since then, anytime I've ever gotten involved with a group or a team or even clients who are talking like that, worried about competition, I, I share some of those same principles and try to get the whole mindset turned around because it is, and I like your word, it, it ultimately is rooted in a mindset of scarcity. You're afraid of losing some little opportunity rather than, you know, really. Well, the, and Doug, what's the irony of it? By trying to protect yourself, you're shutting off a ton of opportunities. Right. So, so by playing defense, you're, you're missing out on all these great introductions because so think about this, the being, so there's two things that people are, are very protective of. I, I find often number one is their clients and I'm not going to introduce anyone I'm working with to anyone else. And I'm going to be highly protective of that. The other thing they're highly protective of is their intellectual property and their knowledge. And again, I understand if you build something very tangible, you may not want to broadcast it to the world. But in terms of like your content, to me, I like to open the floodgates and make as many introductions as possible, connect as many people as possible. And then anytime I have a chance to share information, 
I mean, every everything I've ever said on stage, everything that I believe, you could go onto my LinkedIn and go through every post I've ever made. It's all in there. There, there's nothing that, oh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll give you this much information, but you need to, you know, pay me if you want to know the rest. It's all out there. And that, and, and, and I, I believe that that will make you far more wealthy than trying to protect your relationships and, you know, your, your knowledge. I don't, I, I don't, I don't understand that. Well, and one step further, speaking about the LinkedIn thing, I went through a, a season where I was doing a lot of work in the career transition coaching space. It was back closer to the 2008, you know, recession we had, the the, the big crash. And um, part of my coaching with people that were trying to find new jobs and new opportunities, we, we talked a lot about LinkedIn, using that to leverage. And the subject of LinkedIn used to have a switch of whether or not you shared your connections. Mm. And there was a raging debate about, should I turn that switch on or off? And I said, why would you ever turn it off? And they'd go, well, these connections might be my clients or they might be my part of my secret sauce, you know, of, of what I've gotten. And I'm going, no, no. If, if someone is looking and they see someone that you profess to know in your network and there's a value to be had by them meeting that person or knowing that person, there's a protocol for asking for that referral. And if you don't want to share it, that's the time to say, no, can't do that. I don't know you well enough. I, I need to get you to know you better and then we'll talk. But to just arbitrarily turn it off, I said, no, you're, you're just, you're, you're being selfish. You're being very small minded about it. And I've always been a very open networker on LinkedIn and for the people I've got in my network. And I'm blessed with a huge network now that has grown up over the years that if somebody comes reaching out to me and says, can you make an introduction? I'm going, sure, I'm, I'll do that. Happy to do that. No, and I, I mean, I just feel like if I make 10 introductions this week and 10 introductions next week, eventually they're going to come back, right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, again, so if all you care about, this is, this is what's funny, right? If all you care about is yourself, hey, you know what? I, I could care less about Doug or Joe or Jim or Bob or anyone else. All I care about is Tom. Well, if I'm trying to grow my business, the best way to do that is by opening up my network. So if, if you want to make yourself more money and create more opportunities for yourself, the last thing that you want to do is be selfish. The last thing that you want to do is be guarded and not make introductions. That'll kill you. The best thing that you can do is open your network wide open, help people, introduce people, connect people. And it'll all come back to you. So again, even if you're doing it for selfish reasons, it's still what's best for you. Now, yeah. obviously, I, Doug, you and I like to talk to people that do it for the right reasons and do it because they genuinely like to help people and, and be of service. But, you know, the, it, it's just funny, though, that the, the selfish people, the people that are very, very guarded, um, they're the ones that struggle the most. And they think that they're doing what's best for themselves. They think that they're looking out for and protecting themselves when in reality, they're absolutely closing themselves off to what could be really beneficial relationships and make great introductions over time. Right, right.
Well, let me shift gears totally, Tom. I, I don't have a nice, clean, professional segue to get to this other subject. I'm going to just drop the curtain and, and move on here. Um, yeah, but these are the best podcasts. You know, right. the, worst, the, the worst podcast, and I, I listen to podcasts all day, every day. The worst podcast out there are the ones where you know that it was either rehearsed or they are looking at like talking points and they've got the questions organized. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, I'm not listening to a conversation. I'm listening to a skit. I'm listening yeah. to a performance. It's it's so, you know, inauthentic. But the best podcast are the organic conversations like this that just go back and forth. And I, I that's what I like about your style. And I, it's just so much better than the ones that, you know, just try to, you know, no matter, no matter what, Hey, well, now we have question three to ask, you know, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. It from a mile away. Well, and thank you for saying that. What I, what I would like to do is explore because of your involvement in these groups and you're talking to, you know, highly motivated, successful entrepreneurs that are doing things. What's the tone and tenor of the discussion that's going on right now about the uncertainty in the economy and some of the complexities that's out in the world right now? Can, can you sum up two or three key points that seem to keep bubbling back up, reemerging for people? Yeah, you know, right now, people are very cautious um, and very concerned as to what will transpire in the next three to five years. I, I think a very high level, that's what I would tell you. I don't know very many smart people that are sitting there saying, you know, this year, next year, the next three to five years, it's going to be awesome. And we're going to kill it and we're going to keep expanding. And, you know, we're going to be able to, you know, name our number when we go to sell our business. I mean, people are very concerned right now and very cautious. And I think people are going to really focus on getting the most out of their people getting the most out of every resource, you know, being very efficient and effective. So I don't, you know, again, the entrepreneurs that, that I work with are, again, very cautious. They're still growing. They're still reinvesting. But they don't believe that they have an unlimited runway in terms of how things currently are. And, and I'm talking more in kind of the acquisition space. So for someone that says, you know, eventually I want to exit my business and I want to secure my financial future, secure my family's financial future. They're not looking at it saying, I'm going to just expand as fast as possible, hire as many people as possible, and I can pull the trigger to sell the business whenever I want. They're looking at it saying, you know, I need to grow very smart and very profitably over the next few years. And I need to, at some point sooner than later, strongly consider having a successful exit. Because seven, eight, 10 years from now, there's no guarantee that I'll be able to continue to grow and a better offer will be out there. 
Yeah. So I know it's not the the sexiest, uh, you know, um, uh, peek into the future, but that that's what I'm seeing, and I'm seeing that from very smart, savvy entrepreneurs. So I would agree with you. I, I yeah. think that. I think that's a good word. Cautious, I think, is the is the word. I I have not personally in in the realm of clients that I've got, I haven't seen anybody outright panic by any means, um, but I think they are being very cautious. And and as an example, um, I always kind of teach the concept that when you're being an entrepreneur and building a privately held business is not having a big business on a small scale. So what I mean by that is we're not talking about the principles, the infrastructure, the mechanics of an ExxonMobil or a JP Morgan Chase Bank or a, a Coca-Cola bottling company, you know, that kind of large, massive global infrastructure. The things that make those companies run, you can't just dial them in and scale them down and put them in an entrepreneurial business. It doesn't work that way. It, it's totally different. You know, yes, certain principles apply. You have to manage cash. You have to know cash flows. You have to do some tax reporting and planning and all that. Yes. But when it comes to trying to grow a small business, you don't have this nice smooth graph of growth. You've got these giant chunky stair steps. If you're going to grow a small business and the easiest way to explain that is if you've got a business that relies on a big piece of equipment to stamp out your product and now you get a huge order from a global supplier and you need to double your capacity. What do you got to do? You got to double, you go buy a second machine. Well, that could be a five digit, six digit capital expense to get that next machine. Well, when you plot your numbers as a company, that's a giant stair step hurdle in your numbers. And you're not going to see that revenue right away to offset the cost of that. So what do you have in the bank? How are you doing your financing? Yada, yada, yada. So I say all that to say back to the original question with the uncertainty in the economy, how are people looking at things? Again, I haven't seen anybody that's just shut down for any, you know, look at the future in terms of assessing growth opportunity, I think they are being incredibly cautious. Well, and, and here's the thing, if, if let's, let's look at it like it's a spectrum and let's say on one end of the set, uh, spectrum, I'm going to run my business like we're going to continue to double year over year forever and make money hand over fist. And there will always be a tremendous demand for my product or service. And competition is never going to eat into our growth or our margins. Okay, that's one end of the spectrum. Let's say the other end of the spectrum is waking up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat, worried that you're going to go out of business every night. Either, either side's not great. My philosophy and how I've always operated is I am going to be closer to that paranoid person than the arrogant, confident person. So I believe that we all have to, you know, it's, it, it's such a interesting, um, you know, mix of emotions, but you have to operate very confidently 
and very paranoid at the same time. So I'm going to proceed like we're going to continue to grow, but I'm going to also have that paranoia in, in the front of my mind. And, and I just think that's important. I mean, I, I just think the last thing that you want to do is let your foot off the gas, let your foot off of innovation, growth, um, continuing to offer more value to your, your clients and customers. I mean, I just think you constantly, like, you know, again, Coca-Cola can coast a little bit, right? Us entrepreneurs, I, I mean, we don't have that luxury. You have to continually say, you know, what could put me out of business? What market conditions could change? You know, who could enter the, the uh, you know, market and, and compete with me and kick my ass if, if you know, I'm, I'm not uh, being focused? You know, it, it's just, it, it's just interesting. But you yeah. have to have that mindset, you know, uh, just because you can charge $20 for your widget. Well, hey, if you charge 15, maybe it's a little more of a no-brainer purchase and you can retain customers longer. So not trying to eke out as much profit as possible, you know, not taking people for granted. Yes, we can get by, you know, with a mediocre offering at $15, but gosh, if we could provide an incredible value at $12, perhaps we'll keep them forever and no one would look at our business model and go, oh, I can compete with that. Because the, the people that are so susceptible to competition are the ones that either don't innovate or get greedy or charge too much. And so they're ripe for competition. But if you've got tremendous value, reasonable price, you know, great customer service, strong brand, whatever that is, depending on your product or service, you make it a heck of a lot harder to compete. So I just think that if you operate in a state of paranoia to a certain degree, then you're constantly over delivering, which means it's harder to compete. It's harder for someone to leave you and go work with somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Well, Tom, I'll tell you what, we're about up on time, man. I This has been a pleasure. I really appreciate you hopping in and sharing with us. Um, tell everybody the best way to get a hold of you if they're interested in learning more. Yeah, I'm I'm on LinkedIn like all day, every day. Um, so that's the best spot. Uh, Tom Healy, T-O-M-H-E-A-L-Y. All my contact information is on there. Um, you know, find me, add me. Um if there's someone I can introduce you to, if there's something that I've said or done that's of interest, you know, certainly let me know. Don't be shy. But um, that's just a great way to um, connect with me and, and interact with me and me interact with you and get to know you. So, uh, yeah, LinkedIn. Yeah. Well, folks, as always, we'll have those links in the show notes and you can uh, hop over there if you didn't catch it on the fly as, as Tom was uh, spouting that off. But thanks again for sitting in. Really appreciate your insights and ideas. My pleasure and appreciate everything you do. And uh, it's great to be able to work together and continue to get to know each other better, Doug. So appreciate the time and thanks for having me. All right, man. Well, folks, as always, uh, this is the point in the show. I remind you that if you're listening on your favorite streaming service, we do have a video edition of this over on YouTube, a channel by the same name, Leadership Powered by Common Sense. Hop over there, subscribe to the channel, uh, check out some of the videos. And uh, mainly, I would really invite you to leave us a comment, give us some feedback, let us know your thoughts and ideas. And if you've got a suggestion for a topic we haven't covered, please uh, drop me a note 
And uh, my links are also in the show notes. So uh, a lot of different ways you can get a hold of me, drop me a message. We'd love to hear from you. For now, we're going to sign off, say goodbye, wish you a great day, and hope to see you again real soon. You've been listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense, hosted by Doug Thorpe. If you would like to know more about the coaching and advisory services he provides, visit DougThorpe.com.